Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Clip.com. We're talking Marv, Doug May Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We did an entire podcast for Wednesday, an hour and a half, about the 2024 NFL Draft. But Nathan Baird, I'm glad we broke out Marv because we went 90 minutes without him. We were just like, oh, yeah, he's good. Let's move on to Lathan Ransom and Tommy Eichenberg and JT Tuimolowau. And I'm glad we did that. But we have to address this, Nathan. And I think maybe it should be our policy at Cleveland.com and at Buckeye Talk. Just as we talk about this team the rest of the year, maybe we just break Marv out every time. And it's like, let's have a discussion about the other 84 scholarship players. And then let's have a Marv section. Because the thing that's interesting, Nathan, is I've been covering this team for a long time. They've been around for a long time. You guys have been covering this team for a pretty long time now. You're used to talent. It's normal. It's like, oh, Chase Young. Oh, CJ Stroud. Oh, Justin Fields. Oh, Garrett Wilson. Oh, you know, for me, oh, AJ Hawk. Oh, Malcolm Jenkins. But still, Nathan, Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, yeah, he's good. Still, still. There's something about this guy, and I don't want us to go overboard, but I also don't want us to go underboard because you're so accustomed to elite players at Ohio State, and I still think Marvin Harrison Jr. is kind of a different conversation, and I think a moment like this is a moment when we tip our cap to that. Yeah, I was trying to think anybody in my time that has been at this level of preseason acclaim and people's certainty that they're going to kind of just wreck the sport that year. And it Chase Young is the only one. The 2019 was my first year, and that's really the only comparison that I can come up with. And even on top of that, though, he's Marvin Harrison Jr. Like He came here with a famous name that's only gotten famouser, if that's a word, more famous. Uh, you know, he's he that name also gave him so many expectations to live up to. And here he is like, he's if, if not living up to him, he's surpassing them. Uh, It's, it's, it's a different realm to that. He lives in um, and, and we're, we're fueling it too by doing things like this, like pulling him out. So it's like a chicken before the egg thing. Like, does he, do we pull him out because he deserves it? Or does he get, does it add to the acclaim because we're breaking him out and talking about him so much? I, I don't know, but even even the quarterbacks, right? Even Justin Fields, even C.J. Stroud, even going into their second years after they'd been Heisman Trophy finalists, I don't think they were. There's a different buzz here and a different level of notoriety that he's going to be dealing with this whole season. I mean, I might throw Jackson in that mix. We did a whole pod last year about whether or not he'd have 2,000 yards. I think we were hyping him kind of the same way. Marvin having a name probably helps, which is interesting because it didn't help him as a recruit. He was borderline top 100 kid. It's not like he came in here. He's a lot better than his recruiting ranking says, even with the name. And so, but he, so point taken that the name probably helps him now that he is famous, but I don't, we've had, Jackson's probably like that. Marvin's clearly like that. And I, I might put Chase under Jackson in terms of our anticipations of what this year might be. I think we thought Chase would be good as a junior. I don't think anybody thought he was going to be a Heisman Trophy finalist. While with Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr., the conversation of can they be Heisman Trophy finalists, having that conversation six months before the season has been on the table for both of those guys now. 
Well, but, but Chase, so there it, is it was much harder to expect him to be a Heisman Trophy finalist because he was a defensive player. That that that, that the Heisman Trophy finalist is, is is almost a hard thing to be an arbiter of this conversation. I'm just talking about like how much they're expected, how much belief there is that they shouldn't really even be playing college sports anymore. Like they're mm-hmm. they're an NFL talent that is spending another year in college. And I do think that's where there's a distinction, like for a podcast like this, because we're not having, as Jackson showed us, we're not talking right now about how good of a year he's going to have in college. We're talking about how good of a prospect he's going to be for the NFL a year from now. And what kind of pro prospect you are is certainly related to, but it's not the same thing as how good of a college player that you are and what kind of production that you have and what trophies do you win and does your team win the national championship or not. And so I think in that realm and that idea of how good people think you will be as a pro, sort of what you just saying, Nathan, of like, hey, should this guy even be here? Like that thing. I'm just trying to run through my head with my terrible memory. It's like Troy Smith coming off 05. They're the number one team in the country in 06. You know he's going to be good, but like that's not what the conversation was. It wasn't an NFL draft prospect conversation of how good Troy was going to be. You know, like Beanie Wells was a great player, and James Lordanitis was a great player, and Terrell Pryor was a great player, and Joe, the Boses were great players. I think maybe the Boses are the closest, but I think in terms of the anticipation of what this might, this guy might be as a pro. And the level of anticipation going into their last year in college, because even with Jackson, Stephen, to your point, we did have a 2,000-yard conversation with Jackson. That was a little bit more, can he set the NCAA record? But he's a little bit smaller. He's not a 4-2 guy. We weren't saying, should he be the number one pick in the draft? That was a, could his college production as a great player in this offense with C.J. Stroud and Ryan Day be extraordinary, be record-breaking? I'm going to guess, and our texters can tell us if we're wrong, that the last time we were quite here for Ohio State was Orlando Pace. The idea of like, hey, this is a guy, he's going to destroy everybody when he gets to the league, but you got another year of this in the meantime. And Orlando Pace came in and started at left tackle from day one at Ohio State, and everybody knew how good he was. And Marv had a different path because his recruiting ranking wasn't the same and that kind of thing. But I don't know, man. That that The NFL part of this equation, Stephen, where we are talking about a college player and his NFL anticipation based on the production he's put up so far, the skill set we have observed, the ceiling we believe is there. And now, holy moly, we get a year to watch this. I I think that's might we might be what we're going back to. You might know you you'd know better than me whether or not Joey had that same thing coming into 2015 or not. But I think what's helping Marv here is everything's com- coming together at the same time. It's him, what he is. But I also think you see this with quarterback a lot when you've got a bad, a, like a not so good quarterback class. Everybody looks forward to the next year. We're doing it at wide receiver this time. He already might be a generational NFL draft prospect, but what helps is this year's crop of wide receivers, they were good, but, you know, they went late in the draft. It's not jumping – like people weren't trading up to get wide receivers. Everybody who knows they're not a playoff team is going to be banging down the door to try to get Marvin Harrison Jr. But, but I will say I think he's context-free because if we were coming off the draft two years ago, 
with Drake London going eight and Garrett, like Drake London versus Marvin. Are you kidding me? Like that's so, so that's, I'm saying it's context free. Like it's not about like how good other guys are or how, or how good other receivers were. It's like Marv's, Marv's Martian. So now those two context. He's context free. Let's put him in context. Do you guys know? Play a little sports trivia here. Last receiver to be picked overall number one in the draft. You guys know it? I don't think there's Yeah, I don't I think the highest I saw was Calvin Johnson number two, so I don't think there has been one. Been three. Okay. Sean, man. Come on. Sean might have gotten the that's, darn that's, ball. That's before my time. I think that literally might be before my time. Ninety six? When were you born? Okay, two. I was two years old. Yeah. Well, it drafts in April. I was one year old. Steven Means. Going on two. Yeah. Toddling around the house saying, throw me the darn ball. Steven's like, throw me the darn ball. I'm Keyshawn. (laughs) Nathan, Steve, you remember Keyshawn Johnson? Nathan, was he big in the beat fields? Oh, of course. Keyshawn Johnson was was massive. And uh, and at the time, I don't know that people thought that that was like a crazy pick. Um, Didn't really pay off for the 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 Jets that way, but um, it was a compelling story, compelling guy. So Keyshawn Johnson, there's only been three in the NFL draft, three receivers taken number one. Keyshawn Johnson in 96, Irving Fryer in 1984. That one I remember. Irving Fryer played at Nebraska who like ran the option. Their, their receiver went number one in the draft to the Patriots. I was like, I was like a 10-year-old. I probably could have told you everything about Irving Fryer you wanted to know. I was like, do you want to talk? Want to sit around the dinner table and talk about Irving Fryer? Let's do this. And then 1964, Dave Parks. I don't know who that is. So he was number one. So those are three guys who have ever, ever gone number one as a receiver. Here's the context that matters. Since Keyshawn, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. There have been 12 receivers taken in the top five. 12 receivers taken in the top five picks in the draft since 96. So this is, I think, reasonable Marv context, right, of how rare he might be in this conversation. And by the way, back half of this podcast, we're going to throw you a little bonus interview about Notre Dame because I did it for the College Football Survivor Show, but you guys care about Notre Dame because Ohio State's playing them in week four, and so how Notre Dame looks coming out of spring football matters. Also, some Lorenzo Styles conversation in there transferring from Notre Dame to Ohio State. So just be aware, we're going to do Marv, and then we're going to get to Notre Dame, and we're going to get all of that coming next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Nathan Steven, last guy in the top five, Jamar Chase, 2021, number five overall pick. Steven, is that, like, was that Marv territory? Like, I, I, that's, I think that's reasonable. Like, if you're trying to tell me in the last 10 years, name the college football receiver who might be most like Marvin Harrison Jr., I think, I think maybe we're having a Jamar Chase conversation. He's probably the closest, especially since, like, he literally did not play his last year of college football. Uh, yeah, that's probably the closest. 2017, Corey Davis. He was number five from Western Michigan. He played against Ohio State, I think. Um, Marv's better than him. 2015, Amari Cooper. He went number four. I think Marv's better than him. 2014, Sammy Watkins destroyed Ohio State in the bowl game. Monster out of Clemson. Number four overall. I think, I think like, he's the, like, a guy on the assembly line. It's like, ah, this is a rough draft, Nathan. Let's do a rough draft of, like, the ultimate receiver. And they throw out Sammy Watkins. It's like, okay, that's good. Now let's go build the actual guy based on this model. 
and then that's Marvin Harrison Jr. No, nothing against Sammy Watkins, but like that's not that's not a Marv conversation, right? No, I I don't think so. And and more to the point, I mean, you saw from an NFL standpoint, Watkins have been a, a good player. Irving Fryer was a good player, but I don't think you would spend the number one pick on him again. 2012, Justin Blackman out of Oklahoma State, number five overall pick. No. 2011, A.J. Green, number four overall pick. Okay, like like I understand what we're doing here, but still not quite. The guy you've been referencing, Stephen, I think this might be the last one that's like, okay, Calvin Johnson in 2007, number two overall pick. Goes in between Jamarcus Russell and Joe Thomas. We were just talking about this because Joe Thomas is going in the Hall of Fame for the Browns. It's like, oh, man, could I Calvin Johnson or could I Jamarcus Russell? And like Calvin Johnson, Stephen, his whole career, he's Megatron, right? Which is like Marv, Marv the Martian is like in that territory. It's like you're not of this world and you are dominant. And he didn't win at the NFL because his team stunk, but – you kind of knew what he was coming out, and then it looked like that in the league. I This is – we're getting in Marvin territory, right, Stephen? We have done this with Paris since he showed up at Columbus, the whole best offensive tackle at Ohio State prospect-wise since Orlando Pace. In the name of being – of walking the line of irresponsibility, I think I won't be shocked if somebody throws that out there with Marv if he continues on this pace of this is the best NFL draft prospect since uh, Calvin Johnson in terms of like the only reason he doesn't go number one is because the team who has a number one pick needs a quarterback. And there's one for the taking. So our guy, I don't, this guy, I can't remember how to say his name. Is it Joel Collette? Joel, Joel. Oh, Joel Klatt. Joel Klatt. We know him. He stole my bus. I was trying to play it cool. Um, he said he's the best draft prospect at receiver since Randy Moss. Now, Joel was really like, Joel was hot last year. Once like Joel saw Ohio state in person a couple times and he went bonkers for Marvin. So Randy Moss was the 98 draft and he fell to the 21st pick. Cause people were like, Oh no, he has swagger, whatever. Like people were dumb back then. People are still dumb. Not as dumb. Randy Moss would not fall to 21 now. So that idea of it, like, is that what we're talking about? I think we are talking about names like Calvin Johnson and Randy Moss. Oh, five Braylon Edwards, number three overall pick out of Michigan. That's not Marvin territory. 2004, Larry Fitzgerald, number three overall pick out of Pitt. Okay. Like, I, I, I get what we're talking about there. 2003, there were two receivers in the top three. Andre Johnson, who turned out to be a darn good player, went three. Charles Rogers, who turned out not to be a very good player, went number two. Still not quite there. 2000, Peter Warwick, who was like a famous college guy, but was not Marv, went number four overall. And now we're back to Keyshawn. So I think like Nathan, in that list, since Keyshawn, 12 receivers in the top five, and the only two that I sort of feel like, okay, we're in the right territory here are Calvin Johnson and Jamar Chase. And then that's uh, obviously we're giving a nod to Larry Fitzgerald, who was awesome in college then was awesome in the pros. But like, not to be dismissive, but even within that group, this is not a Sammy Watkins, Justin Blackman, Charles Rogers conversation, Nathan. Yeah, and the one thing that I wanted to check on was before we start comparing someone like Marvin to guys like Calvin Johnson, like size matters. Size is a, is a huge part of those conversations. And in the NFL, I think uh, Megatron was more like a 230, 235 player. And like Marvin ain't, ain't dealing with that yet. But at Georgia Tech, 
I, I just now went back and looked it up. According to a roster I found, 6'4", 210. Marvin Harrison listed at 6'4", 205. So I think it is it is fair to to think about conversations like that because with with Calvin Johnson with Randy Moss their skill set and speed and everything that they put on the field that that you would associate with a smaller receiver came in these oversized packages that just made them unguardable and I don't know that Marvin is at that he's not at that level that they were in the NFL yet obviously but Brian Hartline said this the best I thought just a couple months ago when we were talking about. Marvin Harrison and how all these other guys in that room are trying to be the best college football player they can be. And maybe they're comparing themselves to Marvin and with him and Marvin, the comparison is that guy at the next level. It's uh, pick your, pick your star receiver in the NFL right now. That's who they're comparing. That's, that's who he's chasing. And of course, obviously he's been chasing one particular receiver in the NFL for his entire life. In the name of the size conversation, uh, Julio went a little bit lower. He was six in 2011, but the size component, 6'3", 220. That's the type of player we're talking about Marvin being when he's 25, 26 years old. And they might have to pull Marvin off the field at some point and away from the jugs machine and be like, got to go in the weight room. And be like, but I don't want to go in the weight room. I just want to catch more footballs. Marvin, mm-hmm. get it, you know, so, which is fine. And I know, so right, that's sort of like, it's like, well, what else, what's out there for him? Has he not talked about sort of like yards after the catch, that explosiveness once he gets the ball in his hands? So there's there's that explosion part of it, Nathan, and then there's this bigger size hold up through a 17-game schedule in the NFL, which are maybe the two areas where he can improve. Yeah, I actually wrote a piece for us um, after the season about kind of delving into like looking, comparing him to other great receivers from – college and the NFL in the last couple of years. And that was one of the things that stood out that maybe where he didn't have elite numbers the way some other guys did. And that was the, 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 the separate, the, the, the pulling away the, the, the yards after the catch. And he, but before I think I had even said that, I think I was able to use a quote that he gave me because I think he was already thinking about that. Like he was already thinking about the, that that was maybe one thing that hadn't shown up for him on the field quite enough yet. And that's one of the things that makes him, he is such an intriguing guy because he has all of these physical tools. He has this pedigree, which can be as, as, as great as it was for him genetically, it can be a real uh, impediment to you or a detriment for you from a, a mental standpoint to have to, it's not only is your dad, it's the same name. And, but then to have all of those skills and everything. And then, but also to have um, just as, as mature of an approach as he's had pretty much since the day that he set foot here and really probably starting before that is the most intriguing thing about him. I think, because I think that's what he's already been thinking about this from a professional angle long before he got to Ohio state. And the thing again, why I think this conversation makes sense, Stephen, is because we just saw it with Jackson. You you mentioned it with Jamar Chase. He doesn't have to do anything <laughs> this year. Would you be willing to bet, Stephen, that Marvin is the number one non-quarterback taken next year? And And what do you think could maybe change with him or with any other player to make that not be the case? Yeah, I Thank that. I think the only thing that changes that is if a team gets so infatuated 
with one of those two tackles, Olu, uh, Fashanu, or Joe Alt, that you can't pa- they become you can't pass on them either. Or if like an edge rusher, whether it's Jared Verse or uh, Dallas Turner, maybe I mean, we we talked about JT maybe being in that mix. One of those guys, those you have to take them positions, those money spots. And so, like, the team that's going to take Marvin trades down just to get more value out of getting Marvin in that situation. But unless that happens, I don't see a world where he's not the first quarterback taken, non-quarterback taken, excuse me. What do you think about that, Nathan? I think it's plausible, but only because, like, we're looking at this right now, and as as important as receiver is in the NFL right now, there are a couple of both left tackles and edge rushers who people are pretty excited about already and those positions carry such a premium that i could see a team talking themselves into one of those guys over marvin at at whatever whether it's two three wherever the first non-quarterback is coming off off the board um but he's clearly i think right now on almost anybody's board the front runner to be the first non-quarterback taken so ohio state had this crazy run between um, 95 and 99, where they had three top 10 receivers. And I mean, they're another crazy one now, but Joey Galloway was the number eight overall pick in 95. Terry Glenn was number seven in 96. And David Boston was number eight in 99. Tedkin Jr. was the number nine pick. You know, we just saw Garrett and Chris Olave go 10 and 11. Terry Glenn's the highest drafted receiver in Ohio State history at seven. So that's going to fall. So that already, we're talking about Marv making history here. So now let's talk about the practical application of this. And looking at uh, one of the online draft betting sites, I found all the teams that were projected their over-under for wins was had them as a losing record. So actually, it went below set. You had to have seven and a half projected wins or worse, right? There's 12 teams in that category. Two of those teams traded away their first round pick for next year. Carolina traded its pick to the Bears to move up to take Bryce Young. And Houston traded its pick to Arizona to get Will Anderson at three. So Carolina and Houston are two of those 12 teams, but they're off the board. Their picks are now to these other teams. Now, Arizona and the Bears are two of those teams. So Arizona and the Bears kind of have two shots at this, right? So if we're looking at those teams... Let's play. We're going to play this game. You have the number one pick. This team gets the number one pick. And we're going to try to figure out, do we think if this team has the number one pick, will they take Marvin Harrison Jr.? And that will help us decide, do we really think Marvin Harrison Jr. can be the overall number one pick next year? Maybe somebody will come out. Maybe I don't have the Browns on this list. Oh, maybe the Browns will shock us. You know, actually, they don't have their pick either. They gave it to Houston. So then Houston would have it. CJ would be like, yes. The Browns went one and 16 and the Texans have their pick and CJ gets Marvin, but CJ is probably not going to get Marvin because they have the Browns pick, but they don't have their own. So here we go. Arizona projected at four and a half wins. They have two shots at this. And if you go to mock drafts right now, you'll find people who are projecting the Cardinals to have pick one and pick two, that the two worst teams are going to be the Cardinals and the Texans. And you will find people saying, here's their next 10 years, Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison, Jr. So I'm not asking you guys to know all the ins and outs of every quarterback contract in the NFL, which certainly factors into this. We know Kyler Murray's in Arizona. We know it's gotten a little sideways there at times. We know they have a new coach this year. I don't know, Nathan. 
We're doing a podcast in May, 11 months and three weeks ahead of time. Arizona has the number one pick, but they don't have both, right? They don't have one and two. You think they take Marv or do you think they take Caleb Williams or somebody else? Well, I did look at the cap situation or the the contract situation for Kyler Murray. Uh, it looks like, and and I'm not completely adept at reading this, but it looks like for 2024, the cap hit would be 52 million almost, and the dead cap hit would be like 81.5 for Kyler Murray if you're just moving on, which doesn't seem realistic, obviously. So, like, if are you are you if if they are absolutely committed here's i still don't know if you would take him number 1 though because you can trade the number 1 pick for a lot and in that case now the guy that you're taking and i mean, now now you could also look at it as in well they're going to take Marvin Harrison at number 1 and then in your scenario they would just trade the number 2 pick which is then essentially the number 1 pick because if they just everyone just knows they're going to take Marvin, I guess. But it's you know I'm saying that's I don't want to that's not think about them having the top two. That, that they okay. they only have number one. They have number one and number yeah. seven. Okay. Um. Then I think they then they I think they very likely would take him because I think they might be married to Murray for a while. Like they they just he's got a long contract, a long expensive contract. Uh. The problem is if they really are that bad this year it would be an indication that that's a mistake. And, but I don't know how you get out from under it. And maybe the way that you feel like you get out from under it is to give him more weapons. So I think in that scenario, I think he would maybe be the guy. All right, Stephen, what do you think? Arizona. I think it's almost like I wish we could do this exact same pod four weeks into the NFL season because I feel like you'd have a better answer for it. I think they'd take Caleb if they could only have one or the other. I, I And they'd try to find a way to get to – get off of Kyler Murray at this point, because this is what coach number three for Kyler Murray at this point, since he's been drafted. And I mean, it's had some moments, but it hasn't been great. And you gave him a weapon with Hopkins and that hasn't really turned into much. I think if you can only take one, they would take Caleb, Caleb in that situation. So, I mean, you would, you'd have to figure out a way to trade him. The dead cap hit yeah. would murder you. So I'll, I'll say they take Marv. Like it's one of these things like, well, if you're picking number one and you earned it, it's cause you stunk. So, okay, things didn't go well. So you have to acknowledge that, that it's not a fantastic probably Kyler Murray season, unless maybe this is, maybe the Cardinals are pretty good, but this is Houston's pick. And the Cardinals went nine and eight, but they have Houston's pick and Houston's pick is number one and they like Kyler and now they're taking Marv. So, because the other thing here that I think becomes part of this is, yes, if there's a, if there's a really popular quarterback that people want to trade up to get at number one, that's enticing. But if you think you have a chance at a franchise-changing wide receiver and you want to help the quarterback you have, at some point, you have to take talent, right? So, you know, the Bears traded down and went all the way down to nine because they didn't want to take a quarterback and they didn't want to take Will Anderson number one. But I think Marvin Harrison, you think about who's the top non-quarterback in this past draft. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is above what Will Anderson or any other non-quarterback would have been in this draft. So maybe, and as we said before, we've had that conversation. If Marv had been in this draft, maybe the Bears wouldn't have traded it and they would have just taken Marvin to pair with Justin. Because at some point, if you have a shot at elite talent, yeah, it's great. You got a bunch of future first round picks, but when's the next Marvin Harrison Jr. coming through, Nathan? What do you think? 
No, it it's tough though because when I think about it, and, and I, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah. I was listening to the NFL Network coverage of the draft, and one of their analysts at some point, I remember him saying he thinks the Cardinals have the worst roster in the NFL. So if that's the case, and you find yourself with the number one pick again next year, it's like, yeah, you're right that you can get this generational talent, but he has to be better than whoever you'd be picking a few spots down and the other three or four really high picks that you would be getting net that you don't have. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's a tough guy. So let I me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. Because that's an NFL conversation. Here's our conversation. Is Marv better than that? Do you think Marv might be better than the four picks you'd get? No. I'm not sure that he is. That you'd mm. be giving you'd be getting you'd be still getting a first round pick, a high potentially high first round pick, depending on who you're trading with, and first round picks the next two years, plus additional things. Um man. I mean the Bears had the Bears weren't going to take a quarterback. They could have taken Anderson, they could have taken pre off field incident Jalen Carter. Um and they did the math and decided this haul is better than that. So it's tough math because you're right that these guys don't necessarily come along every so often or don't, don't come along very often, but the, you can get five starters. I don't know. That's, that's tough for a team that needs that I think, much. I think, I think Doug made a point, a good point with the, whose pick is the number one pick. Is it their pick or is it Houston's pick that may decide some things there? I think since we've used Calvin Johnson's name, let's just continue to use it here. Calvin Johnson was awesome, but the Lions didn't do a bunch of winning, even if he was awesome. And as Nathan just said, I mean, Daniel Jeremiah said he thought the Cardinals had the worst roster in the NFL. So what if it's the same concept here of Marvin Harrison goes to the NFL and he's everything we think Marvin Harrison is, and the Cardinals pick him and he becomes all of that. But then he they stink his entire, what was it, seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year career they stink, even if he's awesome the entire time. If you ask the Lions, did they feel like that was worth it with the Calvin Johnson situation to have an awesome player like that but never win? I don't know how many of them would be like, yeah, that was worth it. All right, I'd take Marv if I was Arizona. And I think Nathan said you did say you'd take Marv, right? So we're taking two out of three. We're taking Marv. I, I, Steven's I, taking Caleb. I, but are Nathan, are you officially a trade down? I'm hedging. <laughs> I, I I think I think you guys make a good point too about whether it's it was Arizona's pick or is it Houston's pick. I think that does change the right. math a little. I'm going to put down. All right, I'm going to put down Mark. All right, Bears. The Bears have the number one pick. Nathan, they're your Bears. Are you taking Marvin Harrison Jr.? I am because you've already made a decision once to trade down. You've helped yourself there. Now I think you can make the pick. It's the pick. It's a version of the pick I thought they should have made. I, I don't like the Bears draft in this this year. I thought they should have taken Jalen Carter at nine. I thought they bought themselves the leeway to do that. Um, and I I think that here you've already traded for more picks. You can't really help yourself. At some point, you do have to then go commit to a weapon for Justin Fields. The problem, though, is if you're picking number one overall this past year and it was your pick, because they they have two picks as well, as you said. So if it's their pick, that means Justin Fields was probably not good this past, this past, this, this coming year, which will then be the past year. So the temptation is going to be there to move on and, and go with the best quarterback. I would still take Marvin. 
Steven, who are you taking? With the Bears, I'm taking Marvin. I'm taking Marvin. All right, Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers is gone. They have Jordan Love there. Again, if they're going to have the first pick, it's going to be because they're terrible. Steven, are they going to take a quarterback and replace Jordan Love, or are they taking Marv? Take Marvin. I don't think one year is enough to find out whether or not Jordan Love is good or not. Give him a little bit reprieve and give him some weapons very quickly here and find out whether he's good. Take him, Marv. You take it, Nathan. I think they probably take a quarterback. I'm not sure that they're enamored with Love. I think they wanted to get away from Aaron Rodgers at this stage more than they wanted to commit to Love. That's the Packers' way. Have their franchise quarterback stay a little too long and make the guy they draft in the first round wait around, and it works out. I do think, again, if if you might be able to tell in one year, if they're the worst team in the league with Jordan Love, I think maybe they would take Caleb Williams. All right, Indy. Can I go on the record? <laughs> I think this is what's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I think they're going to, like, so who's their backup? Who's the backup quarterback in Indy? They just signed somebody. Did they just sign? Uh, uh, Minshew. Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew. I think they there's some combination of, like, slow-playing – Anthony Richardson, who you just took number four overall while playing some Gardner Minshew, and you hand the ball to Jonathan Taylor and Shane Steikens in his first year as a head coach, and you've got time. Nobody's pushing the accelerator. You'll figure it out. And I, I this would be my pick, Stephen. And clearly, if it, if they have number one, they're taking him, Stephen, right? This is a match made in heaven for so many reasons. This is like not really. Well, this think, one reason because his dad played there. It's really one. Well, no, reason. but uh, well, no, but also the football stuff. There's like a match made in heaven stuff too with it. But the 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 dad part is just like the golden cherry on top of it all. But yes, if the Colts the have the number is the one, the whole thing. The, it's not the cherry. The dad thing is the whole Sunday. He could go play with the horseshoe helmet that his dad was a Hall of Famer in. He'd be in the same city. That's the whole thing. There's no like, oh, he get to play for Shane Steichen. Like, they're just a team. It's his dad's team. It's the whole thing. It's not a cherry. It's the whole cake. You've gone to the store. You've bought 500 ingredients, and all of them are make Marv a Colt. Right? It's not a Shane Steichen. Michael, oh, pairing with Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor. Who cares who anybody else is? If the Colts have the number one pick next year, and they don't take Marvin Harrison Jr., Fire everybody. Oh, they they tear the Peyton Manning statue down. They'd set yeah. the Lucas Oil on fire, Nathan. Yeah, so a few years ago, I mean, the one hiccup that the Colts had in between Manning and Luck was how they got Luck. There was the suck for Luck year. So I think they need to have star for Marv. Like they need to oh, be starved for wins. Oh. <laughs> they no, need no, to be no. starved, need... starved for victories. And end up with the number one overall pick. And then do it again the year after that. And then go get Arch. And then we can all relive. <laughs> and we can all relive the 2000s. Yeah. Reggie Wayne's got like a nephew plan somewhere oh. too. So just go get everybody. <laughs> oh my God. That would be so good. But, but watching Colts recent history, I can also, it, this just also seems like a year where they accidentally win six or seven games somehow and just push themselves out of reach. I, I could totally see it. Um, there's enough other stuff there. It's just quarterback has been the void. And Gardner Minshew seems like the kind of guy who could come in and win you six games in a in, a, in the wrong kind of way. 
All right, so we think they'd take Marv. Here's four teams that I actually think would take a quarterback. You guys can disagree. The Rams with Matthew Stafford. I agree. The Raiders with Jimmy Garoppolo. New England with Mac Jones. And the and Tampa with Baker Mayfield and nobody. Kyle Trask. Those four teams, if they're mm-hmm. terrible, if they're the worst team in the league, Stephen, I think they'd all go Caleb Williams. The Rams very easily. It's like he's already there, and he's kind of a match made up. But, yes, all those places, it would actually not make sense if they didn't go quarterback. Even with the second pick, I think some of those teams might still go quarterback. Yeah, if, like if one of those teams are in the top two all of a sudden, now you're maybe yeah. having a conversation where Marv is there at three for the Colts at three. So, yeah, no, I think that could be. Nathan, do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, no, th- those are teams that I had also set aside that probably had to go QB. Another interesting one for me is Atlanta. If they were to stink so bad that they were the number one overall pick and they they seem to be ready to roll with Desmond Ritter this year, but they find out that that's not a thing, then, but the whole roster may still not be ready. So if you're staring at number one with them, are you taking a quarterback over Ritter? I think the answer is probably yes. Yeah. And, the, and Atlanta's taken so many skill guys, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Bijan Robinson, the mm-hmm. last couple yeah. of drafts. I think they would yeah. probably go Caleb. Tennessee and Will Levis. They just took Will Levis at the, the second pick in round two. Uh, they still have Tannehill around there, right? They have Malik Willis. I think they're moving on from him. And this is Mike Vrabel. So it's like Mike Vrabel with an Ohio State guy on the board. It doesn't mean that you're committing all the way to Will Levis, Nathan, but I don't know. I think Vrabel might take Marvin Harrison. I think you would too, because I think you've, again, you've, you have spent some capital on a quarterback and you would have to be really sold on Williams or whoever may being like light years ahead of him, which maybe he is, but you know what I'm saying? Like you, as far as like your, the whole roster coming together, I I think the Titans looking at a receiver there would make sense. What do you think about that? Steve? Tennessee, if they have the number one Harrison makes sense. Well, I I might even like stress that out to a receiver with the Titans, but yeah, that makes sense. Marv. Okay. Last one is the commanders. I think Washington is already in like crater for Caleb mode. He's from DC. Like if that's, I think I think the I, the perfect draft is Caleb Williams to DC and Marvin to Indy. If like if we're trying to like oh what would be the best thing that could happen? That's let's start there. So I, if Washington they don't have a quarterback, if Washington winds up with the number one pick, they're going to take Caleb Williams. So that leaves us then with we think Arizona, Chicago, Indy, Tennessee, and like maybe Green Bay, but like maybe four teams, Nathan, that we could see actually taking Marvin with the number one overall pick in a world where a receiver has only gone number one in the NFL draft three previous times. That's what we're talking about. Is it likely to happen? Would I bet it? Probably not. We were looking at odds, Steven. You said you saw 20 to one for Marvin. I mean, if you want to throw, there's a path to it. So if you want to sprinkle something on that, I couldn't actually find it on an app in Ohio that you could actually bet right now. But it's not what I would predict right now, Nathan, just based on circumstance and the way the NFL works. But it's also not impossible in our minds. Is that a, the fair place for us to land here with this discussion? No, I think I think that's the fair place to land. And even the more I think about it, like like the Bears, like again, if they're that bad, are they moving on from Justin? Like quarterback is just... It, it's it's the one where like you always if it hits you're sure you're going to get the value back from it and i'm not 100 percent convinced even as important as receiver is in the nfl if that's true of picking somebody that high 
So in the end, I would say my prediction would be Marvin Harrison Jr., number two pick in the 2024 NFL draft. And I would base that on just the general likelihood that the number one team would take Caleb Williams first or somebody would give a haul to trade up to number one. And then to me, that, okay, quarterbacks are still valuable, but I don't know. I don't, nobody, Stephen, looks at Drake May or Quinn Ewers or Michael Penix or Jordan Travis or any other quarterback that might be available next year in the way that we look at Marvin Harrison Jr. as a sure thing right now. Caleb Williams is, I I think, the same kind of sure thing as a prospect. There's no such sure thing as a player. But as an NFL draft prospect, I think Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison are in the same category, Stephen, and quarterbacks are quarterbacks. So that's why for me, if I'm making a prediction right now, I would say Marvin, number two pick next year. What would your actual prediction be, Stephen? I think I'm there too. Because I, 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 I'm with you with that. I think Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison, just overall, best players potentially in next year's draft, regardless of what position they play. Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. are 1A, 1B, whichever way you want to put them. And then I think there's a gap between them and three because it is like a positional value situation, whether you want to go tackle and stuff like that. And so unlike this year where it's like the quarterbacks were one and two and then two years ago when it was one, two, three, I think you might have a better value trading down and taking Drake May at like seven or being okay with taking Quinn or being okay with taking uh Florida state's quarterback or on down the list there while there's nobody else like Marvin and there's nobody else like Caleb. So I could see that happening where whoever does have the number two pick, they need a quarterback, but why don't we just take that quarterback at six? Cause he's still going to be there and make somebody else have to take Marvin Harrison jr. A lot higher than most wide receivers go. Yeah. It's, so what it's would your tough. final guess be Nathan? I'm inclined to maybe say three is where I think he'll go just because, and it's, it's which way you want to look at it. Like we talked uh, the other day on, on a pod about how many quarterback prospects are going to be in this draft. So that would maybe support a little bit what Steven's saying that like, maybe it evens out a little bit and you can still get a guy later. Um, you don't have to spend, but at the same time, it maybe also increases the likelihood that one guy out of that group, and I'm, I'm separating Caleb Williams already, so one guy from the rest of that group emerges and impresses so much that now he's considered kind of like what uh, this year w- was. You know what I mean? Like there's a clear one and two at the top. So I, I think it's more likely that somebody would trade up and take a QB than for Marvin to be sitting right there for the perfect team, unless the Colts might be the one team that that would make too much sense for. All right. Two, two, and three are official predictions for Marvin Harrison Jr. in next year's draft. If you want to hear what we think about the other 11, 12, 13, 15, 17 Ohio State guys, go back and listen to the Wednesday podcast where we ran through that. Coming up next, Eric Hansen from Inside ND Sports will join us again. This was an interview I did for the College Football Survivor Show. So if you happen to listen to the College Football Survivor Show, it's also on that this week. But I think it just makes so much sense for Ohio State fans. And plus, if you're a Buckeye Talk listener who's never listened to the College Football Survivor Show, these are the kind of conversations we have there sometimes where we bring in experts on certain teams to talk about teams that might be in the playoff mix. So Eric Hansen will join us next on Buckeye Talk. Joined now by Eric Hansen from the Rivals Network, Inside ND Sports. Right, Eric? People can find your coverage of the Fighting Irish there. And you've been covering the Fighting Irish since, uh, since uh, I don't know. Newt, since right, Bob. Since Bob Davy took over for Lou Holtz, there you go. Um, 
Eric Hansen knows Notre Dame as well as anybody and here to talk about the Fighting Irish who, you know, we're we're wrapping up spring ball with teams here, but there's also like some like post spring ball stuff that's been hopping with Notre Dame. And so this is a very interesting team on the field, Eric. So let's start with on the field where Sam Hartman at quarterback was as impactful as any transfer in the country this year coming from Wake Forest. He comes to Notre Dame. Tyler Buckner is there. Spring practice ends. Sam Hartman is still there. Then Tyler Buckner, who was a big-time recruit at Notre Dame and, and the starting quarterback last year at the beginning of the season, is gone to Alabama. Let's talk about the Sam Hartman part of that first. What did you think of Sam Hartman this spring, and what do you think of the idea of Sam Hartman as Notre Dame's for-sure quarterback in the fall? He, he was impressive in every way walking in the door from the standpoint of how he handled it. Um, you know, his – you know, greatest intangible is his leadership, and yet he's walking into a new situation. So he walked that tightrope very well in terms of being a leader by example without telling people, you know, what they need to be doing. And then also accepting that he was a new guy in the locker room and he needed to earn everybody's respect. And and he did a great job of that. Um, early in spring practice, you know, he, I don't want to say he struggled. If you saw him just in drills, you know, you'd say, oh, wow, this is, this is the guy. This is the guy that Notre Dame's been waiting for. Then he'd get into seven on sevens and 11 on 11s, and it wouldn't be quite so smooth. The timing wasn't great. You know, he had a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterbacks coach, a new playbook, and new teammates. And it took a while for that timing all to kind of sync up. But then he gets the blue-gold game, the spring finale on April 22nd, and he looks even better than what he had looked at Wake Forest. You're like, this is the guy. This is why they went into the portal and and risked losing two quarterbacks with starting experience to the portal uh, to get this guy. This is the missing piece Notre Dame hasn't had when they've gone into the playoff and gotten waxed. Um now, do they have enough, enough pieces around him? That's the big question now. And this this is the new world, right, yeah. of how this works in the portal. Uh, said it, college football is not yet a year-to-year sport in the way that college basketball almost is at this point. But certainly college football is getting closer to that right. than it has been in the past. I think we saw this you know, at a place like Oregon where they bring in Bo Nix and then Bo Nix comes back for a second year and they kind of lose a big time recruit as part of it. And you say, well, you know, Bo Nix is going to be really good in 2023. So it feels like Sam Hartman, you're saying every expectation, go watch Sam Hartman play at Wake Forest, people, if you haven't. The, the dude, some of the duels he had in the ACC, it's like this guy can hang with anybody in the country. You do this, right, Eric? But it does affect the future of your quarterback room to lose Tyler Buckner to Alabama and for him to go down with Tommy Reese, the former Notre Dame offensive coordinator, he's at Alabama now. Is that just part of the deal? The deal that you make and Notre Dame would make this deal 10 out of 10 times, or are they surprised that Tyler Buckner is out the door? Well, I'm not sure that they're surprised. I think they're more disappointed uh, because I think the thought was Sam Hartman would, would make Tyler Buckner better. They're, they're about the same size. They have somewhat similar skill sets. Hartman's way more advanced. 
But this really kind of set the stage for Buckner to be the starter in 2024. But I don't think he wanted to wait for that. And, and that's where you run into it. You know, in very early December, Notre Dame had their first bowl practice for the Gator Bowl. Marcus Freeman sat down with Drew Pine, who had been a 10-game starter for Notre Dame after the Ohio State and Marshall games. Buckner got hurt. Um, and he said, we're going to bring in a portal quarterback, or we're going to try, not knowing it was going to be Hartman, uh, to compete with you guys. Pine was out the door. Buckner stuck around. You know, he played in the Gator Bowl, went through spring practice, competed, had a really good spring for him, but an awful spring game. I mean, when you watch those two in the spring game, you're like, why was there even a contest? But but if you saw some of the other practices, you you could see that Buckner was improving and he's he's got a future somewhere. Uh, but yeah, it's the price you pay. And even now, Notre Dame has Sam Hartman and then two guys that have never taken college snaps. So do you go to the portal again and get a grad transfer with maybe two years of experience and risk losing one of those young guys after the season. They can't jump in the portal now, but at the end of the 23 season, they could say, see ya. So there's always that, especially at the quarterback position, there's that risk factor. I I think at some of the other positions, not as much, but, but certainly at the quarterback. And, and I think the price was worth it to get Hartman. I really do. Ohio State went through this a little bit in 2019. Ryan Day brings in Justin Fields. It kind of wipes out the rest of the quarterback room. They kind of don't have a backup quarterback in 2019, and every snap is like you're crossing your fingers. And then Justin Fields stays healthy for the most part, and Ohio State goes undefeated and goes to the playoff. It's like, okay, it was worth it. So like the Sam Hartman upside, and then it's a finished product. And as you said, Eric, there are pieces here. So let's go to the offensive line because as we've – gone around spring football practice. I've just, I I say this every time I'm so intrigued by the teams that have offensive tackles and the teams that don't, because it feels like if you don't, there are good teams dying for guys in the portal at tackle Mm. and Ohio state is one of them. Meanwhile, at Notre Dame, Joe Alt on the left side, right? Might be the best tackle in college football. And Blake Fisher on the right side is a big time dude who's coming back as a returning starter. Is it three out of five returning starters on that offensive line overall? But Correct. especially the tackles, how, how good do you think this offensive line should be for Notre Dame this year? And how did they look this spring? Right. Well, they're going to, you know how offensive lines go. You're as good as your weakest link. So the offensive guards, which is where Ohio State attacked Notre Dame, if you remember in last year's game, that's where um, Notre Dame was vulnerable early in the season. Um that's also going to be the key here. But you start with an All-American tackle and then one who has that potential. And, you know, they, they could both be first-round draft picks. Alt could be a first-round draft pick next year. If you've looked at the mocks, he's in just about everybody's top 10. As a junior, Notre, Notre Dame's never had a junior offensive lineman go go into the draft. They've always been fourth-year guys maybe with a fifth year that they they don't take. but So Ald is really unique from that standpoint. I think Zeke Corral is a much better center than what he showed against Ohio State, and they've got talent at those guard positions. It's, you know, how 
how will the chemistry be? They haven't really named the starters at those positions. The I think the left guard, Billy Shrouf, is going to be a first-round draft choice someday. That's how highly they think of him. He, he is a basically a redshirt freshman. And then the other guard spot, they have some really talented. They have an um, experienced kid in Andrew Kostafik, who's going to be a fifth-year kid who's had some starting experience. They got a guy, Rocco Spindler, from – doesn't he sound like he should be a starter – from Michigan, <laughs> yeah. who uh, was a top 50 kind of player who hasn't been able to crack the starting lineup. So they've got talent. They have a new offensive line coach. You know, Harry Heastand was kind of the standard. He only came back for a year. But Joe Rudolph has been – you, I'm sure we're familiar with him when he was at Wisconsin and all yep. the guys that they turn out that are Wisconsin kids. And then he was at Virginia Tech a, for a year, and now he's at um, Notre Dame. But he's – you know, I thought they looked really good at the end of spring practice once they kind of got their rhythm with those guards. Um, I think they're going to be pretty good. And the fact that they're going to get Ohio State a little bit deeper into the season when they've been able to kind of work through some bugs against teams that aren't so good, uh, I think that's going to help uh, them when they play the Buckeyes. Notre Dame loses Michael Mayer probably the second best tight end in the country last year behind Brock Bowers, just a, a fundamental number one kind of guy. Lorenzo Styles, a starting receiver a year ago, has transferred to Ohio State where he's going to try to play defensive back. I know, you know, there it feels like Notre Dame in recruiting under Marcus Freeman is elevating the receiver position with the guys they're bringing in. But when it comes to who Sam Hartman's going to throw the ball to, who he's going to – Who's going to have the ball in their hands this year, Eric? Are there dynamic guys at the skill positions? Because it feels like maybe they're coming. Will they be here in 2023? Or are there some questions that are coming out of spring? Well, to give you an, an example of how they think that they, how far they've come in one year, Lorenzo Styles was the leaning, leading returning wide receiver in terms of receptions. By the end of spring, he was no better than their fifth wide receiver. So there are people that jumped over him. Yep. You know, they all didn't play the same wide receiver position as him. But if you go wide receiver one, two, three, four, five, he was no better than fifth and maybe no better than sixth. So that's how much they've improved that those young receivers they brought in, they're bringing in four freshmen, but three of them were here this spring. All three of them were tremendous. Uh, Jane Greathouse from Texas had 11 catches in the blue-gold game. Now, he was on Sam Hartman's team, so he was bound to look good. But they have some guys that don't have the production. You look at their stats and go, who are these guys? But they have – they showed it in the spring that they have arrived, and this is a better wide receiver group, much better than what they had on the field last year. At tight end, it's more of a numbers game. Uh, they don't have anybody that is Michael Mayer and, and probably won't for another decade or something. But, um, you know, he set all the records. But Notre Dame, every starting tight end they've had uh, going back into 2004 has gotten drafted into the NFL. Every single one of them. Not one of them's missed. And a lot of those guys have been second-round draft choices. Tyler Eifert was a first. 
Michael Mayer probably should have been a first. But they have them in numbers. Mitchell Evans, an Ohio kid that played quarterback in high school, is probably tight end one coming out of spring. Probably the guy that's going to be the next in the lineage of Michael Mayer is a kid named Eli Reardon, who tore his ACL as a high school senior, then tore his ACL during the season, same one, uh, five games into last season. But if he's healthy and he starts being able to do his thing, that's the guy to look for as the alpha in that tight end group eventually. Evans is really good. And then they have like five of them. So they have multiple tight end formations and against teams that are not quite Ohio State's caliber where they can bully them with their size. They like to use those multiple tight end sets. So Eric, when when you talk about having a guy like Sam Hartman who can can maybe elevate this entire offense. I think by the football outsiders metric offensively last year, Notre Dame was 41st. The two years before that, they were more like a top 15, top 20 offense. This is it, it there's it's so interesting to hear you describe it, right? Tackles awesome. No quarterback, maybe a guy like you never had before or haven't had in recent years at Notre Dame. Receiver, young but a bunch of potential. Right. But then you also just lost the offensive coordinator. There's some there's some peaks, there's some questions as you fit all this together, right. Eric. Will this be a better offense? Like like will it be better than Notre Dame's had in a in a while? Is there a higher ceiling when you add Sam Hartman and maybe some of these young explosive guys? Or how much did you feel like they're feeling the loss of Tommy Reese and just the transition of that right now? And and how did that feel this spring? And what do you think it'll be like by the time we get to September? Well, we saw the growing pains of spring for sure because you know the higher the, it was a late switch from yep. Reese. I mean, it was February when he went to Alabama. It wasn't in you know right after the bowl game. So they had to you know hire a new offensive coordinator, hire a new quarterbacks coach, hire a new offensive line coach who had only been there a month when they started spring practice. Uh, they actually, I think, would have started spring practice earlier and pushed it back a couple weeks and condensed it just to give them more time to get ready. I, I should also mention their running back room. Had Logan Diggs not jumped in the portal late, they would have had one of the deepest running back cores. They still have great talent there. It's just he was a proven commodity. He was their second leading rusher, but they're going to be very good at running back as well. As we went through the spring, the defense was ahead of the offense all the way until the last week. Then you saw them catch up, and as soon as Hartman started clicking, then you go, okay, here here they go. Because as soon as he can, you know, the their defense could load the box. Well, Hartman makes that impossible. And, and Notre Dame didn't have a quarterback that could make last year that could make teams play them straight up. They do have that now. And when that happened, then it was very difficult. They could blitz. They could do anything they wanted to. And in that last week, and Hartman was just, okay, go ahead, fine. Um, and it just made everybody in the offense better. Now, now the question I think Notre Dame fans will have is, Jared is was Jared Parker the, the right choice for offensive coordinator? You know, he was promoted from within. He's had two years of coordinator experience, hadn't called a lot of plays. That was at West Virginia. 
he was actually demoted his last year at West Virginia uh, or after his last year at West Virginia. And that's when he got the Notre Dame tight ends job. So people were kind of hoping that they'd get somebody like Andy Ludwig at Utah that was an established experienced coordinator. And it didn't turn out that way. They ended up with Jared Parker. I know internally they love him. The players love him. But how's he going to show up in those big games, the Ohio State, Clemson, USC games, where you're going against, you know, elite play callers and against elite offensive talent or, or and defensive talent, I'm sorry, defensive coordinators, defensive talent. You're going against that. How's he going to stand up in those games? And that's the big question mark because he hasn't done it. You know, maybe he'll be great. You know, the thing that's interesting about Tommy Reese going to Alabama is, a lot of Notre Dame fans were like, okay, you know, I mean, mm. their offenses weren't top 10 kind of, they weren't like Ohio State, these big scoring machines, relentless scoring machines. I, he didn't have the material Ohio State had, but he was also responsible for recruiting the material he had on offense. So, so it's interesting because there was a, there are people that miss Tommy Reese, but there was a mass shoulder shrug amongst a lot of the fan base. Got to say, Eric, is there kind of like a listen? Like in the last thirty-five years, the two times that Alabama and Notre Dame have played each other, Alabama's kind of handled Notre Dame, and now Nick Saban's plan is like, yeah, we'll take their offensive coordinator and take their quarterback, and Tyler Buckner might be starting day game one at Alabama. What do Notre Dame people think of this? Like what? Like, hey, all right, well, fine. Like you said, it's not yeah. like it's blowing a hole in Notre Dame. Notre Dame's yeah. fine, and Alabama's taking Notre Dame's guys. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, like the Twilight Zone. It's really there. We're living in a world where Notre Dame's backup quarterback could be Alabama's starter. It just seems so odd, given kind of the track record of um, Notre Dame not producing NFL caliber quarterbacks for a while, and uh, Alabama producing them with pretty good regularity. Uh, once once Nick realize that he needed a great defense and a great offense. So it's it's very strange. Um and I I think people hope that Tyler does well, but I don't know that anybody's predicting that he's going to win the job. You know, he could be easily number 3 as he could be number 1 there. So yeah. And and the other thing that's interesting about it, you know, people ask me, "Well, did Tommy Reese promise promise him this, promise him that. It's like, that's a check. Tommy Reese can't cash. You know, Nick Saban runs this. You know, Tommy had some autonomy at Notre Dame. He doesn't have that at Alabama. So it's it's fascinating for us to watch uh, to see how this all turns out. But I don't think anybody is saying, boy, it wasn't worth, after watching the Blue Gold game, anybody's, and watching Wake Forest last year, that anybody's saying, Boy, I wonder if this was worth giving up uh, Tyler Buckner, if that was the price to get Sam Hartman. Defensively, Notre Dame loses Isaiah Foskey off the edge to the number 40 pick in the NFL draft. How good, you know, this is this is a program that has plays good defense, right? Like how good right. should this defense be this year, Eric? What'd you see this spring? Yeah, what I saw this spring was the areas that were supposed to be their strengths looked like strengths. Their corners looked really good. They're linebackers. They've got this young group coming up behind a veteran group, and it was a nice blend. 
they looked pretty good there. The questions were safety and defensive line just because of what they lost on the defensive line and because I don't know that former Ohio State assistant Al Washington had the best year last year. I think he's a guy with something to prove, and and he had something to prove this spring and something to prove on the recruiting trail. And this spring, the defensive line was the surprise. Now, the surprise level of the spring needs to be the surprise level in August as well. There needs to be a step up, but they had a lot of new guys playing, a lot of very athletic guys without a lot of experience. They added an Ohio State uh, grad transfer in Javante Jean-Baptiste. Um, we didn't see a lot of him, uh, but but they are very high on him. Uh, he will probably be a starter or at least a rotational guy for them. And then their safeties are really good, the top three, but they are really hurting for depth. So they are shopping in the portal for another safety to to get through that. I think if we have the same conversation about those two position groups in August that we had in the spring, then this is going to be a better defense than last year. But they need those two pieces to fall in place. So Eric, this is this is a team. It's a great schedule. And I, I would imagine that the season ticket holders at Notre Dame are very happy this year. Ohio <laughs> State and USC in South Bend within a month of each other in the middle of the year. They have a road trip to Clemson. We know Notre Dame always is playing a great schedule. You know, it's one of these things, Eric, where, uh, you know, last year in the offseason, it's like, Marcus Freeman, everybody's, oh, Marcus Freeman, we can't, everyone's so excited. And then they lose to Ohio State, and then the quarterback's hurt, and they lose to Marshall, and then they lose to Stanford, and they're three and three. And then Notre Dame wins six of the final seven. They'll only lost to USC wins the bowl. And now it's like, I don't know. Now we're on like, well, Luke Fickle's new and Matt rules new and like, and here Lincoln Riley's going to go crazy in your two. Like, but they're built. You, something's happening here, right? Yeah. Is there, do you, what, what does it feel like? This is where it really starts. It's year two, a good first year. No, you can't dispute that it was a good first year for Marcus Freeman. And you see a Sam Hartman, you see young receiver talent. Like what? What are the vibes, Eric? Does it feel like that there's a real opportunity here for Notre Dame with Ohio State and USC as home games that something could pop this year, or is it still a little bit more about the future, long term prospects of the program, and that what it's really people are excited about is when you get to the twelve team playoff and man, in five years, what Notre Dame's going to look like? Where, where is the program in year two under Marcus? Well, I think people are are hoping that this is a special year. And there were enough new pieces where I think we are all kind of wondering, is are all those going to fall in place? You know, at, at seems like at Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, they kind of know what's next. And there's not as many question marks um, every year. And, and there are larger margins for error. With Notre Dame, everything has to kind of click for those playoff seasons to happen. Getting Sam Hartman was a big click uh, in that. And uh, Marcus Freeman's recruiting is also a big click in that. He's able to get kids on campus that Brian Kelly wasn't able to or what didn't have maybe think Notre Dame could get involved with those kids. 
And it's even more important now because of NIL and the portal. Um, I think where people are concerned about the long term is Notre Dame has a much smaller pool of portal um, portal candidates than just about everybody else. You know, they used to say that about high school recruiting, but they can recruit grad transfers easy. They can usually get in kids that just finished their freshman year. If it's a kid that finished just finished a sophomore and junior year, it's almost impossible. And the other sports are finding this out too. Every once in a while, maybe a Northwestern kid can slip through and be the exception, but you're losing a huge part of the transfer portal by not being able to recruit those kids. And so if Notre Dame has a big year of attrition, can they get it all back through the portal with just freshmen and just grad transfers? And I think that's what the concern is. So there's also the concern is that can Notre Dame compete and get five-star recruits if they are not more aggressive in the transfer portal, I mean, in NIL or even mm. have, you know, walk the line of is this legal or is this not legal? I mean, there's a lot of fans that get on our message board that think that Notre Dame should do these acquisition fees that some of the other schools do. And Notre Dame has a good NIL program, but you need to commit, you need to get there, and then they get you situated. Um, and so that's where maybe the long-term, but they feel like they're still better off than Brian Kelly. It's ironic because Brian Kelly's recruiting well at LSU. He's doing things that he didn't do at Notre Dame. And I think he learned some lessons when he left Notre Dame and, and also learned, you know, he needed to be more aggressive and he feels he can be at LSU, but Marcus feels like he can do that at Notre Dame. He's got a great recruiting pitch. You know, he, he says, choose hard. Notre Dame is going to be harder. You know, the classes are going to be harder. He does. They used to try to whitewash that in recruiting. He wants kids to embrace that, that, that this is going to make you a better person down the road, so embrace the difficulty of it. So I think people are are excited about long-term and short-term, but they're also worried about how these new things in college football will play. They feel like if they had gotten this version of Marcus Freeman maybe five years ago when the rules were different, Notre Dame would be killing it. But they are, you know, they lost some big five-star guys in December last year. And the at least with one of them, the implication was it was NIL-related. Um, and I don't know how much that's happening with Ohio State, if they feel like that's also eroding their recruiting power or they feel like they're competitive in that space. No, they definitely felt it last December. Yeah. Ohio State felt that last December, and I think they've adjusted and gotten more aggressive since then. And I feel like I think this next signing period, they'll be able to to stack up a little bit better. But everybody's everybody's still kind of finding their way, Eric. And it's yeah, it is a it's a it's an administrative decision, right? It right. has to come top down a little bit. But I also think sometimes the people in the football building have to push because sometimes the administration is 
maybe reluctant for good reasons, but it's like, hey, right. like if you want us to hang, we have to be able to hang here. So yeah. I do. I, I don't think everyone sorted it out yet, but um, but you got to You got to at least give yourself the opportunity to compete. Okay, he's Eric Hansen. You'll find great coverage of Notre Dame football and other athletics at InsideNDSports.com. Fascinating year for the Fighting Irish. Again, it is um, a situation where it's all right there, right? The opportunity is there when you have Ohio State coming in to South Bend on September 23rd, USC to South Bend on October 14th, at Clemson on November 4th, and then, man, November 18th, Wake Forest. What? Oh. It's going to be a this-is-your-life situation for <laughs> Sam Hartman for that game. My God, that guy's going to be in tears before the game, Wake Forest coming to Notre Dame. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be really, really interesting. And it, it's funny because the portal allows these matchups to happen. Remember when coaches would say, well, you can't go to a, a team that, that's a future opponent and stuff before the portal, and, and they would block people. Now you get these matchups. I mean, Lorenzo Styles is going to be playing against Notre Dame yep. this year, presumably. So, um, yeah, that's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens with Wake Forest. And Dave Clawson's a great coach. Um, yeah, there's a lot of games to look forward to and some trap games. I think NC State on the road early is a trap game for them uh, that they better watch out for. Um, and Clemson, I'm excited about that the last time I was at Clemson, it was like a hurricane. It was like record rainfall down there. That was 2015, the last time I had I had made that trip. Um, but I'll tell you, when you were talking about the excitement about Marcus Freeman, the turning point really was the Clemson game. When they stomped Clemson in their stadium, the, and it wasn't close. Usually if you have field storming games, it's a close game. Mm-hmm. is dramatic at the end. I mean, that that bowl emptied out onto the field, and it was incredible. I had been there um, during the pandemic in 2021 season when they beat Clemson in a double overtime game, and Clemson was number one, and there were 11,000 people in the stadium, and they all stormed the field. So it was interesting to see, you know, 77,000 do it, after the 11,000 had done it a couple years before, I I actually took a picture to compare from the press box because there were only 11 of us in the press box that day because of COVID restrictions. Yeah. So it was, but that was when Marcus really won over the Notre Dame fan base was the Clemson game. Those were games Brian Kelly didn't win very often. He did the in 2020, but... His record against top 10 teams was abysmal. And for Marcus to, you know, knock one off, Clemson was in the top 10 at the time, was was uh, something that, that really won the fans over. Eric Hansen, greatly appreciate your time. We'll look forward to talking to you again in the fall. And uh, should be a fascinating season for the Fighting Irish. Thanks so much, Eric. Looking forward to it. Take care. And that'll do it for this Buckeye Talk. Thanks to Eric Hansen on behalf of Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.